This episode of Crosscut Escapes is presented by Forterra, land for good. The shrub step is the West. When you think of cowboys riding across the open rangeland or pioneers taking their covered wagons hundreds or thousands of miles, when you think of the Pony Express and when you think of Manifest Destiny, you might not be thinking of the habitat behind all of that, but when you're picturing those things, the landscape that's behind it is the shrub step. Hello, listener. Welcome to Crosscut Escapes. I'm your host, Ted Alvarez, and I want to show you something. When you think of Washington's beautiful natural landscapes, your mind probably drifts to images of sparkling peaks, thick forests, or the wild waves of the coast. But historically, the ecosystem that takes up more of the state than any other is one many have only experienced as a beigeish blur from the window of a car or an airplane. I'm talking about the rolling yellow hills, brown rocks, and gray sage that dominates the spaces between mountain ranges in the state's thick middle. I'm talking about the shrub steppe. Well, the shrub steppe is composed of rolling grasslands, which is the steppe part of the word. And then shrub refers to the woody shrub component. This is Elizabeth Torrey. She's a biologist with the Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife, and she works to help preserve this under-recognized landscape. It's where she lives, too. We've got Wyoming big sagebrush. We've got three-tip sagebrush. We've got antelope bitterbrush, all sorts of wildflowers. And so you're right, it is beige when you're driving by on the freeway at 70 miles an hour and you look out, it seems like a landscape of nothing, when in reality, it's millions of little ecosystems that are just much closer to the ground and support a multitude of wildlife and insects. And it requires getting out and actually looking a bit closer in order to maybe appreciate that. Jay Caney is a native of Eastern Washington, and he's been working in sagebrush landscapes for over 40 years, most recently with Conservation Northwest. You can't see it driving by. To appreciate it, you've got to get out And whether you are out there to hunt or bird watch or just take a pair of binoculars and just explore, getting out there by foot is probably the the best way to explore this habitat. Even driving by on a dirt road and looking for wildlife isn't the same as walking through it. Well, when I was about 12 years old, I got my first shotgun and my dad said, let's go hunt pheasants. And we ended up up in the Palouse and we got into some great hunting and shrub step was part of that landscape. And so I always liked traipsing around in the the outdoors and in particular in the eastern Washington. And then when I went into my career with Natural Resource Conservation Service, one of my first jobs was to do soil survey work on about 40,000 acres of shrub steppe habitat that the soils work was going to be used in a conservation plan to help that rancher understand how to better have a plan for his animal grazing on those properties. And I just really got an appreciation for the connection between soils and plants and wildlife. That's my background, soils and wildlife. But the shrub step is kind of in the middle there. That's where everything comes together. And so I really started to appreciate it. I've had some of my best experiences in my life in that environment from hunting to taping naps on a cold day 
on the sunny side of a hill under a shrub, a sagebrush bush. You know, just being out there and hiking and enjoying it. The shrub step might look barren from a glance, but that's a mirage. It's home to astonishing levels of biodiversity. And without all the trees or rain, most days you stand a pretty decent chance of seeing something interesting. There are so many, I mean, insects and reptiles and even amphibians, mammals and birds. Moose have been seen in the shrub step. Bobcats and cougars, wolves historically occupied parts of the shrub step. We've got animals that live only in the shrub step, such as ferruginous hawks, burrowing owls, jackrabbits, sage thrasher, loggerhead shrike, songbirds that um, require this ecosystem in order to make their living. We've got iconic species like Colombian sharp-tailed grouse and, of course, the famous sage grouse, which used to occupy huge tracts of land throughout our state and throughout the Intermountain West. Now they're the majority of the, the sage grouse are now found in Douglas County, past Chelan, but they're still present. We have pygmy rabbits, elk, mule deer, pronghorn, bighorn sheep. At first I had that same reaction that all people do. It was gray, dull, and boring. I hated that I was from this area because I wanted to be up in Leavenworth and in the Cascade Mountains. Elisa Lopez is a naturalist and project director for Team Naturaleza. She was born in Wenatchee and grew up hunting for ladybugs and other critters in the surrounding orchards. Now she works to connect diverse multilingual families of all ages to both outdoor activities and environmental stewardship. Now I appreciate it the way I do because of my original thoughts when I was younger. And so that happened around two years ago when I started learning about how resilient this ecosystem is. I think that's what I love about it so much is that, I don't know, we as humans can probably connect to this ecosystem because of how resilient we are. You know, when there's not enough water, you know, you store it. It's just what plants do. They're just, they're, they're such survivalists. So that's what I appreciate about the plants and the animals that are in that area. And then just the fact that it can survive throughout the four seasons. And we get intense four seasons here. We get the hot summers and the really cold winters. So that's kind of another aspect that I really enjoy telling people about. Because not only do the plants have to change with time, but the animals have to adapt too. And I could not see myself adapting every three months to a new climate. You know, that's like moving every three months and like having to change your job every three months. It's, it's crazy. I think visually one of my favorite ones to bring up to people is the arrow leaf balsam root so that's the the plant that's like it's dead it's like squashed down people step on it when it's like gray and and it's got frost over it during the winter but then it's the one that people will come from all over washington to come and see during the summer so it's such a it's such a difference where like everyone loves you during the summer and then everyone's just kind of like oh that plant's dead in the winter so i like to tell people you know this plant is like still alive it's, it's just dormant so it's nice to see them kind of go up and down, the ebb and flow. For Elisa, the shrub step is among the best places for the uninitiated to experience nature and keep coming back. And one of the reasons why is accessibility. I think it's advantageous for us in Wenatchee because we are surrounded by it. And so in order for you to connect with the outdoors, you have to love what you're seeing. And so that's what I'm trying to create for people when we go out on these hikes is trying to get them connected to that plant or connected to the soil or to learn just a cool fact about, you know, the squirrel or the bird that we saw flying around so that they're then encouraged to go back out again 
and kind of build that cycle of like them going out and then seeing one new thing and then wanting to keep going out. So I think that's why it's important to us. It's because it's really all we have within a, a 20 minute drive. So, you know, we have it and you really have to learn to appreciate what you have. Because it's a really cool ecosystem. We're not going to see an episode on Discovery Channel about it or anything, you know, super adventurous about it. But it's it's beautiful when you think about what the ecosystem has to go through to kind of stay stay around. When she guides families on hikes, she often sees knowledge echo across generations. The school districts here, do they're doing a, a really good job at getting the kids outdoors for field trips and doing a lot of local stuff. So the kids come out into these areas and they learn about salmon and they learn about the shrub step, learn about the raptors that live in our area. And so then the, the parents will ask the kids, like, have you seen this? Did you know this? And then the kids can reply back and say, yeah, we came here for our field trip. I've been here already. I know all this. They're already experts, as they say. We see the kids teaching the parents. But then the parents, I, I think a good portion of them have either traveled or are migrant parents that have lived either in Mexico or somewhere in Central America. And they'll tell their kids, like, oh, we have this plant in Mexico. And it's da-da-da-da-da, you know. I like how the, the parents that have migrated over here they can relate to this ecosystem because it's a little deserty over in like Mexico, at least for like my parents too. And so they, I think it kind of like brings them back to kind of what their habitats are over there too. But in recent years, the endangered shrub steppe has faced its most serious threat yet in the form of catastrophic wildfires that grow each year in scope and intensity. In 2020 alone, 800,000 acres of it burned. They wiped out almost everything in their path, including pygmy rabbits and endangered greater sage grouse. There were only about 770 sage grouse left to begin with, and the fires may have wiped out half of that population. Shrub step and fire have always gone together. Shrub step plants and wildlife species evolved to coexist with fire, but on a much different scale and intensity than what we see today. Shrub step in pristine condition is actually fairly fire resilient. And so with intact shrub step with the layer of bunch grass, fire has to jump from bunch to bunch to bunch. It's not one carpet like you might think of with your lawn. And so in that way, fire stayed much lower in intensity and burned from clump to clump and had to jump around. And so it was fairly fire resilient. Our native bunch grasses, their roots grow very, very deep many feet beneath the soil. And so even if the crown of the grass burned, and same with with sagebrush and other woody shrubs, they tended to survive or at least persist with their energy stored beneath the soil in those low intensity fires. Now, much of our land is covered in cheatgrass, invasive cheatgrass, which was unknowingly brought over by settlers to the United States. I believe it originated or was first seen in Pennsylvania in like the 1700s. So it's been on our lands for many hundreds of years, but it's been in recent decades that it has really begun to overtake the shrub step landscapes of the West. And cheatgrass is now usually what you see if you look out and see a large shrub step landscape and it looks very brown by um, June and July. That's the cheatgrass which tends to green up much earlier in the season and outcompete our native grasses for moisture. So it, it greens up and then it dies off right when fire season is beginning. Cheatgrass is much more carpet-like 
instead of bunch like like our native grasses. And so when the fire, if a fire either started naturally from lightning or some other natural cause or human caused, it tends to ignite that fuel source and it spreads very quickly, very rapidly because there are no spaces between that cheek grass. It's a never ending blanket of grass that covers the whole landscape. So fires have increased in intensity so huge areas of land are being consumed by wildfires, and that is not something that was seen, even though fire was present on the landscape. The last three major fires, you know, Okanagan Complex, Carlton Complex, and then these last ones, the Pearl Hill Fire in Douglas County. I don't know the exact numbers, but at least probably two-thirds of those burned in shrub step habitat, not in forested habitat. Some of those were more like three-quarters or 80% were in the shrub step habitat. And whereas you have a, a logical sequence of recovery in forest lands, that recovery in sage lands is really hard. Depending on how hot it burns, the grasslands typically come back, but you've opened up the door for invasive species like cheatgrass, and once those get started, your habitat value goes way down. The value of the forage, if ranchers want to use that ground for forage, goes way down. And then the other component that's so important to shrub step is the shrubs. And when the shrubs burn out, it can be 20, 25 years before they come back. So you've drastically changed that habitat for the species that need it. As an example, sage grouse and pygmy rabbits, they eat sagebrush leaves. That's what they survive on. So if they're not there for 20 years, that species is gone from that area for 20 years. There is hope for Washington's shrub step, however. Because generations of people have grown up in these landscapes, working the land and using it for forage, and coexisting with its species, conservationists, ranchers, and more have a lot of common interests and reasons to work together to preserve what remains. Well, that's the great thing, I think, about shrub step, because a typical rancher who uses either his own private land or has a lease on public land sees the value of that land for forage for his cattle or animals. But I, I can't think of any of them that don't see the value of that land for wildlife as well. And I think any conservationist or environmentalist that looks at shrub step and sees it, you know, the value for the environment and that grass as habitat can come to understand how it's important to livelihoods too. And, and the forage value is important to ranchers. So there's kind of a, an already existing common bond. We all want the same thing. We don't want to see it burn. We know that causes damage. We don't want to see it overgrazed because that's not going to support both the wildlife and the vegetation that the cows or the, or the grazers need. So most of the time, I just see most ranchers, landowners that are involved with shrub step as part of their operation as being very respectful and also very knowledgeable about the species and the conservation that's out there. I had a, I had a rancher once tell me, he says, I, I love seeing all those bird watchers come out here. I go, why is that? He goes, because I want to know about the birds. <laughs> and I thought that's that's that says what it's all about. You know, they really care about the species out there as much as any of us. And um, a lot of them are doing a really good job in stewardship of that land. It takes work to sustain a place for all of us. For over 30 years, Forterra has been doing that work, taking action to promote resilient communities and healthy ecosystems across our region. 
from planting thousands of trees each year to developing attainable housing to helping conserve over 250,000 acres of land, the Washington-based Land Trust has built programs and partnerships to advance conservation, restoration, and community resiliency across the state. For more information, go to forterra.org. That's F-O-R-T-E-R-R-A dot org. Okay, back to the show. What those of us who live on the wetter side of the state can do to protect shrub step is simple. Visit, learn about it, tell others. Just make sure that when you do visit, you park on pavement or dirt roads, since heat from parked cars can and has caused major wildfires in the past. I think that the most important thing for someone who doesn't live in the shrub step, if you're visiting or coming over to enjoy it, is simply that, being aware of its value as an important landscape of Washington, that's the first step. A lot of people aren't aware of what shrub step is or that it even exists, even though it does historically and, and still cover large portions of the eastern side of our state. People are not aware of its existence. And so people care about things that are important to them. And people think things are important when they can touch them, when they can see them, when they can appreciate them. And so educating people on its existence, providing them with opportunities for how to go out and enjoy it in person will lead to hopefully preservation, either with the, their local communities, with their neighbors, with other people who might go out and enjoy Shrub Step. And here's another crucial thing. Protecting the less familiar sagebrush steps actually helps protect both the green, wet parts of Washington and the iconic species that live hundreds of miles away. The habitats, especially in Washington, don't observe like geographical endpoints. They blend into one another. And so orcas and the plight of Chinook and other salmon species and salmon runs have really been in the news and I think it's important for people to know that caring for shrub step is caring for orcas. So many of our salmon streams and rivers run through shrub step. And the smaller streams, which feed into those larger rivers, run through shrub step landscapes. And those in turn feed the fisheries. They produce the leaf litter and the input that feeds the macroinvertebrates, the bugs that live in the water that the fish feed upon, the vegetation that grows on the sides of these streams and rivers, cools the water and provides hiding habitat for our fish species. And so the habitats all bleed into one another and the fish that are produced in the Yakima or elsewhere, the Snake River, they eventually make their way down the Columbia and out into the ocean, Puget Sound, and they feed the orcas that are in so much in the forefront of the public's eye right now. And so caring for shrub step is caring for orcas. And people might not realize that because it seems like it's separated by a mountain range. But in reality, they're very connected. Something that we've started doing, we get people involved in restoration of the shrub step. So we've had maybe two to three volunteer work parties between 2019 and now, where we have people actually go out and put plants in the in the ground. We get people who would probably normally not be involved in restoration projects, and we get them outdoors learning about what they're putting in the ground and why they're doing what they're doing. So it's, it's kind of nice to not only enjoy it, but to be a part of letting other people enjoy it. 
And so they can come back and, you know, bring their family and say, you know, you see that plot of like plants over there? Like I planted those and, you know, that was me who restored this area. So that's really nice to see and to know. The beauty of the shrub step is apparent the minute you stop the car and step out into the wide open windswept canvas you've only seen from behind a window. The ground and the horizon come alive, sharpening your senses. The breeze carries whiffs of minty sage, of earth and cold water. But what stays with you most is the mystery, the sense that you're still stepping out into a place that is both ancient and foundational to the culture of the Northwest, and yet still feels somehow unexplored and undiscovered. It's just waiting for you to find your place in it. You never know what's around the next corner in Shrub Step. And that's the fun part in, in any, you know, appreciation of a wild place. You want to go around that next trail on the mountain and there's that perfect view of, of a glacier or a snow-covered peak or whatever. It's the same in the Shrub Step. You want to go around that next corner and see what's there. And sometimes you're surprised. You know, it might be a beautiful sunrise or sunset with basalt cliffs in the background, the sun just peeking up or down, you know, below that cliff. It might be a mule deer in its bed that you never expected would be right there that jumps in front of you and scares the dickens out of you. You know, it might be, if you're lucky enough, you hear some grouse and you go, oh, and you stumble upon a, a sage grouse leck or a sharp-tailed leck. You get to watch their mating dances, which are fabulous. So you just gotta keep your eyes open take your time and look around the next corner and see what's in front of you. That's it for this week's episode. Many thanks to Elisa Lopez, Elizabeth Torrey, and Jay Caney. Ted Grudowski shared audio recordings from This Land is a Part of Us, a film he produced about the shrub step in cooperation with Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife and Conservation Northwest. You can watch the film and find more information on Washington's Shrub Step and some of the best places to experience it on our website, crosscut.com. The episode was engineered, scored, and mixed by The Explorist. You can subscribe to Crosscut Escapes on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. For more on Crosscut Escapes, go to crosscut.com forward slash escapes. And if you like the show, please review us. It really helps other people find us. Crosscut Escapes is a product of Cascade Public Media. This was our final episode of the season, but we'll be back soon with more episodes of Crosscut Escapes. Thank you so very much for listening. Until then, I'm Ted Alvarez, and we'll see you next time.